how do you still have good days with Brett, even when she's not here? When I find out that we were able to do something to help another family, I know that that is her legacy. And I feel like that is, I'm so proud of my kid. I still feel like I get to parent her in that way. I still get to help somebody the way that I wish I could help her. Um, we have a system with Vanderbilt where we're able to financially help families. And, um, of course the research aspect, which is what I'm so proud of, um, that if the day that we find out we funded something that made a kid have an option that she didn't have, I will touch the sky. I just, I, and, and, and the hope that I hope it brings those parents knowing somebody's fighting for you. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Proper Creative. They help me with our brand content and, of course, making our swag. They're the ones that ship it out to us. That's Proper Creative, and they work with any type of business, whether you're a big corporation or a small business or even running it out of your house. They will work with you, and they will help you and relieve a ton of liability and work from your shoulders. That's Proper Creative. You can follow them on Instagram, P-R-O-P-R, or you can go to their website at P-R-O-P-R. R-O-P-R-L-L-C.com. Let Proper Creative help you build your brand and sell direct to consumer, regardless of the size of your business. Proper Creative is definitely a good choice. Welcome to another week of Level Up with Matt Rogers. I am your host, Matt Rogers. With me, as always, Co-EP, the beautiful one himself, Eli Adelman. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Yeah. Like we always say, we have the best guests. You like what you're seeing? You like what you're hearing? Like, subscribe, and share. Today, we are going deep. We have um, just a great person with us today that knows the struggles of being a mom, being a wife, having a daughter diagnosed in utero with Down syndrome, and then finding out that she had CHD, congenitive heart disease, and un unfortunately, her daughter passed away in 2017, and she is here to share her story with us. And now, being on the other side, I don't know if you ever really arrive, but um, we're going to get real today, talking about the struggles of obviously going through that and how she's doing now, how you keep your life together, how you stay positive, how you keep your marriage together, how you hope for a future and that your life could be better tomorrow than it was yesterday. So I am super excited to have with us the founder of the Brett Boyer Foundation, named after her daughter, Brett, who passed away in 2017. Mom, wife, <laughs> unbelievable person, Ellen Boyer is in the house with us today. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming. I'm yeah, pumped that you're here. Me too. I met you face to face for the first time about three weeks ago. Does that sound yep. right? Three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, uh, they were having their gala for the Brett Boyer Foundation. And long story short, code red, they brought me in as the auctioneer and MC, and I'm so glad that you did. You saved us. We're thrilled that you were there. I was so glad to be there. <laughs> it was you. so much fun. You just took it. You leveled it up. <laughs> hey, <laughs> we leveled it up. Um, no, I was happy. We met through a mutual friend, Jeff Walker. I actually am the payroll guy for your husband's company. Your husband's I name is Bo. Yes, yes. Bo is a um, straight-up businessman. 
Yeah, he's very serious. He's very serious. He was not always so serious, but yeah. But I love him <laughs> because like I always felt I could I could always tell he had a good heart. Yes. And I like working with people that have heart, but he is a businessman, so it was always hard for me, not that I have broken through, but it's it was always hard for me to like break through like the friend barrier. Yeah. When I'm just his payroll guy. And I think his, you know, his friend Jeff did a good balance of that. Of oh yeah, Jeff can warm everybody up, right? Jeff can, <laughs> yeah. And but your husband, I think I've told your husband I love him like four or five times. I don't know if he's said it back to me yet. Well, I told you earlier. I mean, I had to break him down too. I mean, I just <laughs> kept pushing until he finally said it back to me, and then I was finally like, "Are you going to propose or what? Are we moving on or what?" Really? Yeah, we dated like six years before he proposed. So when did everybody you and else Bo kept? Meet? We met the night he graduated college at Georgia Southern okay. in Georgia. Obviously, sorry. <laughs> Georgia, Southern Georgia Southern in Texas. Yeah, <laughs> in Tennessee. Um, the night he graduated, and I always say that God must have known if we had met one day earlier that we would have just fought like cats and dogs or something because we <sighs> ran in the same circles. We had a lot, all of the same friends, and it was the night he graduated. I was actually singing with Cole Swindell. Really? Yeah, yeah. You're a singer. I did not no, know. No, no, I was in college, but um I don't do well on stage. I don't know. I may have had a little more courage back then. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because you sure. were the highlight of the night at your at your event. Well, like, I appreciate you saying that, but it's almost like I feel like I black out when I'm up there. I'll come down and be like, I don't know what I said. Somebody help right. me. <laughs> but um I'm very uncomfortable up there. I'm a sweaty mess and very <laughs> anxious. So I'm glad to see that I fooled you. Up so there. you were singing with Cole Swindell yeah, before yeah. he was anything then. Oh, yeah. And then um, we were, yeah, we were singing, and I remember spotting Bo out in the crowd, and he was really having a good time. <laughs> and I was like, gosh, that guy's crazy. I kind of like it. Really? And then, yeah. So you saw him from the stage. I saw him first. Well, I think he must have saw me first because he was dancing alone at the front. Uh-huh. I'm going to stand here and put out the vibe <laughs> yeah, for that gonna singer have, on stage. We're going to have to come up with a new story for our kids about how we met, but that's the truth. And then, um, yeah, I asked a couple of people who he was, and they introduced us. And then six long years later, I finally beat him down until he proposed. Well, so, like, were there sparks <laughs> that night? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And were you like all bedazzled on stage, or were you just? I was like trying, the girl, and I was really putting it out there. Were you like the girl no, next door? Kidding. I get on stage in like a little summer dress, or do you like sparkle it up and I'm glamour glitter? I don't remember what was going on that night. <laughs> Neither does yeah, he. Yeah, yeah he definitely <laughs> like doesn't. It. I was young, dumb, and 21, I guess. So <laughs> that's awesome. So you met uh, the night of graduation. Mm -hmm. So that night, um, you guys talk like after that, like do you exchange numbers and like, hey, it's on. Yeah. Okay. When we talked, we just talked, we're friends for a little while. I had to break down the friend barrier too. And then, um, so it sounds like you were, oh, yeah, went after him. Yeah, for sure. Really? Yeah, you see how his he keeps walls up a little bit. So he's still like, because I, I see the side of him, like he's he's a he's a straight businessman the most time I, I talk to him. Yeah. Like it's kind of softened up a little bit since I got in the foundation circle yeah, with you guys. For sure. So I think he kind of sees, you know, in a different light. Yeah. But I've always been like the payroll guy. So we only really had to talk about payroll. Um, but he's a guy like he knows what he wants and he asks for it. Yeah. So I'm surprised like he wasn't like, <laughs> no, you're the one I want. Yeah. Ellen, you're going to. Yeah. Well, I guess we eventually got to that place. But yeah, I had to really convince him that that was what he needed to think. <laughs> so how did you convince him? I'm just <laughs> <laughs> How did that convincing go? Um, That is. <laughs> 
um, a distant memory. I don't know. Did you sing a lot? Like, were you like, was that the goal to be a singer? Well, I don't know. I just enjoyed it at the time. I was basically a wedding singer. All of my friends were getting married and I was singing in the bars in college and then singing weddings on the weekends and stuff. So it was just fun. It's crazy how, so we moved to the South uh, from California five years ago. So in Cali, like, and Eli, you know, like I was in the Hollywood scene. Like I'm, you know, from American Idol, I was on like, but I was like you, like, I like to sing. I was really good at karaoke night, but I, yeah, I never saw myself as like the big right. star. I don't know if I, yeah, I don't want to put that on you, but, um, but I was like in the Hollywood scene. So like, it was almost like every man for himself, like hosting yeah. TV shows and stuff. I move out to Tennessee and like everybody is in music together and they all help each other. Yeah. Like everyone out here helps each other. Oh yeah. It wasn't like that in Cali. Like, so you went to the same school as Cole Swindell? And yeah. And- Me and Bo, Caroline, uh, my sister-in-law, Luke, mm-hmm. Cole, who all else? So for there? the Dallas listeners, Davidson, who's every- Caroline, who's Luke? Cause oh, they don't sorry. really know. Bo's sister, my husband's sister is mm-hmm. Caroline Bryan and she's married to Luke Bryan. So there are, in-laws. So that mm-hmm. night, did you know that that was... No, I hadn't met Caroline then. And we were she, in the same sorority. Was she sorority, with Luke at the time? I don't, know, I don't know if they... I think they were dating again then, but they had been... They started dating her freshman year of college. She's four years older than me, and so she had just graduated when I got... When so I she's got older Southern. than Bo, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Bo's the baby of three. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they are a freaking fun family. Oh, yeah. There's never a I follow her moment. on Instagram. Yeah. And like, she's like my wife's, one of my wife's favorite followers on Instagram. She she's plays a, jokes all the time. She's a dang good time, but you got to keep your guard up because she'll scare you at any time. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so at the time, like, so you and you and Bo eventually get married. Mm-hmm. Now let's, let's get to like your life stuff. You get married uh, in what year? 2009. 2009 mm-hmm. and right away did you know that you wanted to have kids like was oh, that yeah. always on the I was 26 Bo was 28 when we got married I mean we started we we knew we wanted to start a family right away and um but we still you know we're having fun we were both working really hard a lot of long hours I was doing ultrasound and taking call all the time we were living in Milledgeville Georgia then um and it was kind of one of those things where we were like, we know we want to start a family, but we weren't stressed out about it. And all of a sudden, two years went by and it hadn't happened yet. And we were both kind of like, huh, wonder why that hasn't happened and if something's wrong. And So you weren't really trying, but you weren't really preventing either. Right. You were just. Yeah. So would you, and this is a question, like each month that would go by and you knew you weren't pregnant at that time, would it bum you out or you didn't even think about it? The first year we were both working so much and. I mean, trying to see friends when we could that I really, it, it wasn't too stressful on me. The next year I kind of, I probably thought about it a good bit more than Bo did, but yeah, after about two years, we kind of both started having the conversation of like, wonder why this is not happening. Mm-hmm. Cause I knew, um, that six months to a year was normal, you know, mm-hmm. but like after that, it started to make us a little anxious. Um, and then we moved to Tennessee when I was 29. So, um, that was when we first decided to go see a fertility specialist and see what was up. And of course they never found out what was up. So there was nothing wrong. No, no. Both of us checked out. I mean, nothing that we know of every test that we had done, which were many, 
right. were normal. And um, I just truly believe God was waiting on us to get to Tennessee before Brett was born. Her life happened exactly when it was supposed to. And that's not easy to hear when you're ready to have a baby. Right. Um, I wish I could go back and tell myself, you know, when we were in Georgia and worrying about it and ready to have a family that everything's going to happen right when it's supposed to. I think a lot of people, because now I still work rarely at Nashville Fertility. That was where I started working when I moved up here. And um, so many people, you know, they would, you could relax if you just know that it's going to happen. But right. obviously we don't have that. And then like, they also say like, if you are stressing about it, it could prevent right. even longer. Right. right. So but then I'm you're like sure double any- stress. Cause you're like, I'm stressing, but I'm not supposed to stress. Well, and if I had a dollar for every person that was like, y'all just need to go on vacation. Mm. Y'all just need to quit worrying about it. Don't think about it. I mean, that's a lot easier said than done. We went on vacation a lot. <laughs> it didn't happen. So, um, yeah, and then we we did seven rounds of IUI in between different surgeries to check for endometriosis and all that good stuff. And then Brett was our so first I, round. IUI is in vitro. IUI is insemination. Okay. So you do we did you can either do oral meds, Clomid or Famara, or you can do injectables. We did oral meds, which was frustrating for me because ovulating was not a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, I so I was frustrated to have to take something to do something my body was already doing. But anyway. So what those, is it supposed to do? If your body's already ovulating, you're just, taking these orals to speed up the ovulation process or well, what? Well, it helps them time it better. Okay. Um, and so the timing we were trying to get just right, but I, I think, have a really dumb question, but I'm going to ask it for all of my other dumb listeners out there. Who have a 1.96 GPA like me? We're going to talk about reproduction right <laughs> okay. now. Okay. <laughs> well, but listen, Bo still some of the things that he asked me. So ask away. Well, and your husband's super smart, and he's actually in the medical field. So. Yeah, but uh, he still asked me if is the, are there carbs in quinoa? Okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't understand why. <laughs> so I mean, so everybody. What's, what's the answer? Yeah. Well, that. <laughs> What so, a dork. What's uh, the answer? Are there? Are there? He, are there um, carbs in quinoa? Well, that's one thing, too. When we do, like, our fundraisers, a lot of times we're like, this is a room of educated people. Yeah, but everybody's not educated on Down syndrome and CHD. I certainly wasn't. So right. a lot of times you can be the smartest person in the world. You're not going to understand every aspect. So anyway. Yeah. Which leads me to a question I'm going to get to. I don't okay. want to jump ahead of myself. Back to the, back to the reproduction of, <laughs> of the uh, human life. I do want to know. So this is a really dumb question, but I'm going to ask you. Can you only get pregnant in a certain window? So, like, let's just say you're ovulating from the 15th to the 17th. If you have sex from the 1st to the 14th, is it impossible to get pregnant? I've worked, I worked in the OBER and have scanned people that have no idea when the heck it could have happened. So, I mean, I think... All things are possible, but right. um, different people ovulate at different days of the month. And so I think that it usually can. That's probably not a question I should answer because I don't think I know the appropriate like medical term. That's I right. think it's like, so this part's probably <laughs> if you're wondering where to cut, <laughs> but my uneducated, but I think that it can be like three days before and three days after. Okay. That the egg can still get, yeah. When we were trying, I just told my wife she was ovulating every day. Yeah. I'm doing this for you, babe. Yeah. I'm doing this for you. Um, okay. So back to the, back to the seriousness. So you, 
Um, you you do you take the oral meds to get on the timing schedule. Mm-hmm. It obviously worked out because you became pregnant, right? Not with IUI. We had to do we did IVF. So IUI, the the benefit of IUI for people that don't have any or have no known reason is that if possibly there's like a cervical stenosis or a blockage to keep sperm from getting where it needs to get, that would bypass some of those issues. Like I said, it really, it didn't work out for us, but I truly believe Brett's life happened exactly when it was supposed to. And we can do, you can do everything that medical, you know, advances have to offer. But I mean, her life was planned just like mine and yours. And that gave me peace about moving forward with it. Cause a lot of the things, you know, when you really sit down, a lot of people don't want to, nobody wants to go through fertility treatment. You right. want it to happen on its own. Um, I sure wish that money had been applied to my mortgage, but um, it the benefits of IUI is there's insemination with, so there's several different ways that that can bypass things that are not working correctly. But so, And then in vitro, they go and retrieve your eggs, the sperm and egg meat in, uh, outside of the uterus. And, and once they they're a blast, in. yep. Once they're so an you embryo. got pregnant from IVF, IVF in vitro. Yep. So that's they took it out, inseminated them, put them back in. Mm-hmm. That whole process from start to finish, when you started taking orals to the end, it was probably extremely expensive, right? Oh yeah, Brett cost thirty thousand. Brett's round cost thirty thousand dollars. Thirty thousand. Now, is this something your insurance pays for? Or you mm-hmm. all got to come up with it. No, we had to come up with it. And, wow. Um, but now there's a lot of people that their insurance does cover some. Okay, well, that's good. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Brett, your daughter. Um, she, You found out that you were pregnant with her when? I found out I was pregnant with her the day before Thanksgiving 2015. Okay. Um, Obviously a very joyous oh, day. Oh, it was wonderful, but it was all... Um, of course, with IVF, they're checking your levels so often. Everything from right off the bat was... It's positive, but your numbers are not quite as high as we wanted. And Brett, we did transfer two um, embryos on day three, which is not really what they tip. We don't, they don't do fresh transfers very often anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but we transferred two and my numbers up. So it was positive, but my HCG levels were not quite as high as they wanted. So they were like, congratulations, but keep your guard up. Which means what? Congratulations, but it, you might lose the baby? Well, they just were, they wanted to see that my numbers would double by the next blood draw. And did they? They did, like. But. I know, right? it was it was just constantly like that well, the whole it, time. Is it almost tough to enjoy the pregnancy under that? Yeah. I mean, in hindsight now, I wish I could have just gone back and said, I'll take what good news you give me. Uh, you know, like. Right. It's such a good to, point because and try to thrive in it. I don't know. I remember when my mom, uh, my mom battled cancer for a long, long time, and she got to the point. And my mom was a very, you know, spirit-filled woman. Believe, you know, believe in God, but and she got to a point where she was like, "Just tell me the good news and the progress when I come in. I don't want yeah. you to tell me anything bad. I don't want to fill my mind with any negativity because yeah. I'm, I'm standing on the promise of God." Yeah. And I'm walking out this journey, even though it might look like challenges and hell around me, I want to focus and renew my mind on the promise of God. Only tell me what I want to hear. Yeah. So that's such a good point. Like for people going through stuff, like sometimes you got to 
for lack of better terms, get the hell out yeah. and just let the heaven in yes. and walk in there. Right. For sure. So did for you, sure. did you ever like, so you wish you would have went back and said, just tell me the good stuff. Cause it's almost hard to enjoy the good with all the. Yeah. But I do see that early in the pregnancy, you don't want to be blindsided if things don't go well. Um, so I, I understand. Right. And it's your medical information. They feel like they have to give it to you as far as this is what we traditionally see with these numbers. Mm -hmm. So we'll relax a little more when we see them double. Um, and it was like, I think that they double or like almost got there to where they were like, we still feel better about this number. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was when I was like five weeks. And then we went in for our first ultrasound at six weeks and there were two sacks. There was our baby Brett and she had a heartbeat and then the other sack was empty, but it was continuing to grow. So mm. we kind of watched that for a while, but nothing other ever developed there. How hard was that for you? I don't know if I ever really even, I don't know. I, that sounds so crazy because I understand where that can be such a hard blow to a lot of people, but there was so many emotions about finally being pregnant. Right. And then on top of the things that happened later, I don't remember ever really focusing on that loss. I guess maybe I'll deal with that in 15 years, maybe or something. I know, right? Like, that sounds healthy. No, it's, <laughs> but it's real. Like it's, you're being yeah. real. And so you, you found out that you're pregnant. So right away you found out, you know, Hey, you're pregnant with twins, but one of them doesn't have a heartbeat. Is that how they tell you? Yeah. Yeah. And then do they like, when did you know, that Down syndrome was involved in your pregnancy? So I was doing ultrasound at a women's hospital that's across the street from Nashville, Nashville Fertility. And I had gone with some a girlfriend to Arizona. It was in February, freezing cold here. And mm -hmm. for her Christmas present, her husband had given her a trip um, to Scottsdale mm -hmm. and to go play tennis. And so she and I went together. And I was so nervous about, you know, I'm finally pregnant. I'm going to take it easy, just live as healthy as I can out there. But I got back home in February from playing tennis in Arizona and I worked and I had vowed I will never scan myself because I knew all it's going to do is make me anxious. Sure. But I got back and I said, I just want to scan on top of my belly and see that her heart's beating. And I was right. maybe like 10 and a half weeks then. So I did, we were snowed in at the hospital. So I was there with an air mattress in basically our closet of an office there for two whole days. This is in Tennessee, February of 2016. That's right. No, no, of 20, Feb yeah, 2016. Sorry. Okay. February, 2016. And, um, I saw her little heart beating. I was like, Oh, thank you, God. Mm -hmm. And right before I pulled the probe away, she flipped around and I saw a lot of fluid on the back of her neck, which is a thickened nuchal, translucency is what the, and it's what they check for a screening for down syndrome. So you are the one that actually almost yeah. kind of diagnosed your, yourself. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, and then I was trapped up there away from Bo. I'm sure what a lot of people with a COVID diagnosis, you know, or like a diagnosis during COVID, I just was like, what do I do with this? And then I felt so to be frank, so sorry for myself that I'm like, wait a minute. I had, we tried, for seven years for this baby, why would I have to go through problems on top of it? You know, I just felt so, I was angry that day for sure. 
Um, but then I was, I was trying to convince myself, maybe this is just the angle you're getting. You're not, that's not really how you're supposed to scan yourself standing up with your, mm-hmm. the probe in your belly. Um, and so, um, that was at 10 and a half weeks. And usually they don't do the nuchal translucency measurements until 11 to 13 and a half. So the next week we went in to see a perinatologist and it w- had healed. It wasn't there anymore. Wow. And so we, they were like, it's got to be the angle that you caught. I was like, I'm telling you, I saw this move. Like it was so, so big. They were like, but just because you saw it and that can be a marker for down syndrome, we're going to draw your blood to do the um, harmony screening, which is like that they actually test the chromosomes through my blood, Mm -hmm. through the mother's blood. A lot of people do that just to tell gender, but it's really to check for any kind of genetic chromosomal abnormalities. At this point, you know, it's a girl, right? No. Oh, you don't know Mm -mm. it's a girl. Mm -mm. Did you not want to find out or did you want to know? Um, we, Bo and I hadn't really talked about it. I knew because I did ultrasound that I would, I would look right. <laughs> whether he asked me to or not. <laughs> but, um, I think we had planned to kind of wait until a little further. I had, I had no plans to do any kind of genetic screening really. Um, in hindsight, I am glad that we had time to prepare. Um, but how much worry that it caused during the pregnancy. I kind of wish I had just enjoyed how I felt so good. The best I've ever felt when I was pregnant with her. And so I wish I had just kind of thrived in that, but we did have time to prepare, which I do appreciate. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so they drew my blood, but the doctor was like, you know, her nuchal is normal now. So I fully expect these results to be normal. I use normal with quotation marks. Cause what does that even mean? Sure. Like I said, I don't believe that people with Down syndrome, a lot of times people will say they have an extra chromosome. I think we're just missing one. So they, cool. I mean, so. I heard you say that d- for the first time at your event. I'd never heard that before. Yeah. I mean, there's so much joy there. I wish that my life perspective was the way that a lot of those people are. Yeah. I mean, they're all individuals. So everybody, all of them think differently, just like we do. But their stresses seem to be a lot more. Um, prioritized than mine are. So, um, but yeah, my blood work came back and it did show a high risk for down syndrome, Mm -hmm. but because everything else looked normal, they thought perhaps that was the twin that we had not had lost because that placenta was forming. And that's really the blood that they're checking is the placenta. So do you still have two sacs in inside of you at this point? Yeah. But the second one was very, very small then. So they knew, I mean, so do they just let the reproductive system flush it out? Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, so anyway, then uh, we kind of, they ask about an amnio. I really, I really just didn't want to go that route. I was just so nervous about losing her to begin with. Mm-hmm. And Bo and I'd really just been committed to her from the beginning. So we kind of pushed forward. And then at about 19 weeks, I had a screening that is the AFP screening is I don't, they do it traditionally. I like they do it now at 19 weeks, but it's not the gold standard for Down syndrome screening now. I think it's more for like neural tube defects. But is every morning that you go and you know today's the day we go for another test, is it just? It was agony. In, yeah. Like it was agony. Are you not sleeping the night before? And, and I, like, I, what, are, what are you doing personally? Are you praying? Are you reading the Bible? Are you crying? Are you talking of, to your husband? All what? of the above. All of the above. 
There, you know, I really did not get emotional a whole lot. There was a lot of, I was fiercely protective of her. Um, there, there may be three times that I remember having a big time fall apart while I was pregnant. And after now having two typical kids, I see that that was normal. <laughs> I cried more with Lottie than I did <laughs> with Brett for sure. Um, but I was so jealous of the people that are like, we're going for our ultrasound today. I'm right. so excited. Nothing could be wrong, which, oh, I, I love that for them. I wish everybody felt right. that way, but it was agony for me. I was it anticipating is, the worst news ever. I know each time. We found out that, um, that Sam, our, our daughter had it in utero and you almost, you feel bad because you're going in. Just so much heaviness. And yeah. then you see those young, oh, we're so happy. And you're like, eh. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. It's tough. Um, okay, so keep going. I'm sorry. No, you're good. So the AFP screening that we had at 19 weeks came back at very low risk for any chromosomal abnormalities. Wow. So there was this time of relief that we thought, oh, she's she's fine. Maybe this was just all, you know, a fluke, or maybe that's why the other pregnancy didn't continue. Um, and then at my ultrasound at 20 weeks, we saw her heart defect. And we thought at the time it was just an ASD. Which um, means what? An atrial septal defect. And mm -hmm. that's a defect in the between the two atrium of the heart. Which is a very common heart defect, but it's not specific to Down syndrome. Um, in hindsight, that should have been my other cue. But then when we went back for another fetal echo, they diagnosed her with an AV canal defect, which is um, very like, or it's very common with kids with Down syndrome. 50% of kids with Down syndrome have a heart defect. And of those 50% of kids with a heart defect that have Down syndrome, 50% of those have an AV canal. And so that was really our, you know what, very highly probable that she has Down syndrome. And we were. Um, so let me ask you this for, for a lack of better terms. Forgive me if I say this incorrectly, but I don't know how to say it. 50% of, of kids with Down syndrome have a heart condition. Have a heart defect. Of yep. those 50% that have the heart condition, 50% of those have a canal. AV canal, yep. Which is, is AV canal extra bad? I mean, actually, the statistics that they gave us is 97% of the time, they do awesome. They survive, go on. They'll be a cardiac patient or cardiology patient for the rest of their life, but a lot of times their appointments are every year. Um, or, I mean, or managed by medication. Now, they always have to have open heart surgery to correct it. Mm -hmm. I use the term correct very loosely because that's – all parents with CHD get a tick when you say that he, we correct her heart's been healed. It's never normal. Mm. It's just good enough to be, you know, to live another day. Right. And there's not enough research to really show what does this mean long-term? How long before we have, you know, valve insufficiency? A lot of kids, there's, there's just a lot, it's a lot more complex when you see a kid running around that they've had, open heart surgery and you think, Oh, well they're running around. They're great. Sure. There's no remission. We don't know, you know, what it means for them, but thankfully 97% of kids with an AV canal can usually have one surgical intervention and 
just get further and further out and only have to have yearly checkups. So at this point, you, you know, Brett has down syndrome. You also know, Brett has a heart challenge. Are you devastated? Are you optimistic? What are you, what's your mental state at this point? To be honest at that appointment, um, I cried when I knew that they were going to have to do open heart surgery, but in my mind, we can fix her heart. I can't fix Down syndrome, which is so, I was so focused on the wrong diagnosis. I mean, Down syndrome is nothing that needs to be fixed. It was the biggest blessing of my life. Because why? Oh, I, I can't even describe it to you. It's one of those things. I've, I had so many parents tell me, you'll look back on this diagnosis and you'll know what I'm talking about. It's a fraternity that, I mean, it's truly... A gift, it's the biggest gift of my life. And I don't really even know how to put it into words. It's kind of like my relationship with God. I, all I can do is tell you that there's a joy here that wasn't there before. And um, the families that I've met that, with, that we're bound through Down syndrome, I'm, I'm closer to them than I am of some of my closest friends. There's a bond there that right. some of them we haven't even met in person. It's just, I would do anything for them and their children. And um, just seeing the joy and all of the wonderful things that people with Down syndrome bring to our lives, our country, our communities, oh, it's just changed me for the better. I'll never stop thanking God for that diagnosis. Wow. And, and it's hard. Like, I'll hear of people getting a diagnosis now, and I'll have to remind myself, don't overwhelm them, Ellen, don't overwhelm them, mm -hmm. because there definitely was a time, um, there's a family that's local here, Lukey, uh, Lucy Hatcher and um, Tommy Goodgame. Tommy passed away this past year, but they have a daughter um, who has Down syndrome, who I think is my age, mm -hmm. and... I remember see, I was pregnant with Brett and we went to a birthday party where they were there and Tommy was so happy for us. He and Bo have hunted together. They're friends with Luke um, too. And mm -hmm. he um, was so thrilled for us that he came over. He was like, you did it. You hit the lottery. And I remember being at a place. Is it bittersweet to hear people say that? Like that was really hard for me when I was pregnant. Because you almost now, kind of feel like now don't I want to congratulate scream me on something that I'm hurting on. Right. Or no. Well, in some ways, I was craving somebody telling me congratulations because people felt sorry for me. And that is a Absolutely. very unwelcome feeling um, for me. I, I, I don't, I mean, I don't feel sorry for anybody that gets a Down syndrome diagnosis now. Before she was born, I did. I didn't understand. And you think, oh, they're going to have a challenge. So does every child. Right. You know? So our um, challenges are different. Yeah. And, um, on the backside of me, even our perinatologist that gave us the diagnosis, uh, I'm so sorry to tell you this, which made us feel like we were, there was something we should be sorry for. You know, um, I understand it's hard to hear, but this is not the end of the world. It's not a grave diagnosis. And I honestly, I understand that children with Down syndrome have challenges physically, um, you know, and cognitively sometimes, mm -hmm. but we don't tell people who are expecting a typical child, Hey, they may fail math class. Right. Cause you don't know, <laughs> yeah. you don't know until that person's here, what they're capable of. You don't know 
are they going to be the meanest kid in class? That would, to me would be a much harder diagnosis. Wow. I mean, you know, such a good point. Um, and so one of our goals is to I'm be really able to sorry s- to tell you, your kid is diagnosed with being an a-hole. <laughs> like and there's, how many people do we want to say that to? Not a great cure. You're going <laughs> to try. And there's no cure. <laughs> I mean, like, let's call it what it is. Oh my gosh. Okay. One of the goals that Bo and I definitely talk about is, and one of my friends that lives in California now that um, her daughter's mm-hmm. two weeks younger than Brett, they're going to talk to a group of medical students about th- how they were, they received their diagnosis and what they wish they had said. Like you, when you come in and are like, I am so sorry. To somebody that doesn't understand, they're going to feel like this is awful. Um, What do you wish was said to you? I wish that somebody had said, I understand this is not what you were prepared to hear. There are resources and there is support and you are going to be okay. When we finally met with the genetic counselor at Vanderbilt, Oh, he changed my perspective completely. He because said why? he has a kid that has special needs. He doesn't have Down syndrome, but he was a head of Down syndrome clinic. So he knows these kids and you could feel his joy for us without overwhelming us. He said, do you have other children? And when we said, no, she's our first. Do you have cousins? He was like, my best advice to you is that she treat her like a typical kid. She's going to try to catch up and do whatever they do. And she, he was like, the best part is that they're going to benefit from her more than she ever benefits oh from God, her. I want to freaking cry, I know. Dude. I'm telling you. And I remember looking at Bo, and I was like, she's going to be fine. We're all going to be better because of her. And we are. Was it tough for him being the man receiving this? He news? was He was a solid rock. Um, you'll have to get him to tell you. I'll, I'll tell it in lo- for yeah, him. But, there you go. Um, the day that we got that blood test back early, he went for a run, and he was. He said he was so angry, and he had music playing. And he was like, "God, why would you do this after all that we have gone through to get pregnant?" And he said, "My girl came on his playlist," and he said, <laughs> get, "He said that's it. She's she's my. I know. I've never told anybody else that story. Both tells it usually, but he said she's my kid. I mean, what else is there? I asked for one, and you gave her to us, and so." Is that the day? And I learned this uh, three weeks ago, um, you know, being at your foundation event is um, Bo, your husband started calling Brett, your daughter, the queen bee. That's right. Is that the day that that happened? That's the day that happened because they told us we think she has Down syndrome. And I finally, I knew that with the genetic screening, they knew her gender. And so I said, well, I mean, I had to ask because it was like, you know, bad news, bad news, bad news. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I was like, well, do you know if she's a boy or, or I mean, if it's a boy or a girl? They were like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a girl. And I, it just kind of, I was like, okay. I already, I had her name picked out in high school. And so I was like. You had the name Brett picked out in high school. I did. There for was, a girl. Yeah. I've never heard mm-hmm. a girl named there Brett. Was a girl Explain that. Went that. To a, there was a girl that went to a um, rival high school that was this I mean, I really didn't know her well. I just, she was this sweet, cute girl, and um, I loved her name. That's cool. And then Bo's grandmother is Sadie, and she's the sweetest woman to ever walk the earth, so we knew it was going to be Sadie Brett. And so when we found that out, he came home, he was like, from his run, and he was like, "We're let's go, let's do it. This is the queen bee, she's on the way. And then, Were you like, whoa, what happened on your run? I know. Yeah, he didn't tell me for a while, I mean, like a while later, but 
So, and, and just to catch the audience up. So that queen bee has a strong impact on the foundation because the logo, if you will, yes. for the Brett Boyer foundation is a bee, right? It's a bumblebee. A bee. That's right. Can you kind of explain so that? We were calling her the queen bee. And when we planned her, our baby shower for her, Bo was suggesting that we had like a Beyonce party. And he's like, move over Beyonce. There's a new queen bee in town. <laughs> and, um, which, you know, is pretty witty for him. I mean, he's normally pretty straight and narrow. Yeah. So that was, um, but we called her that. And then when she was born, yellow was just her color. Even when she was really sick, if I had her bed dressed in yellow, she just looked so great. And so, um, we were always called her that, the Queen Bee. And then after she passed away, um, Caroline, my sister-in-law, created this barn of rescue animals, Brett's Barn. And out there, there's just bumblebees everywhere. And so we just felt like it was no coincidence that was her and our sign from God that she's happy and and with him. And when we started talking about the foundation and creating a logo together, I also had saved this. I had this saved in my phone as like my wallpaper on my phone. It was aerodynamically, the bumblebee shouldn't be able to fly, but nobody ever told the bumblebee that. So it just keeps on flying anyway. <laughs> and I was like, that's it. That's what we need. I mean, her, that's her legacy. Quit letting people set limitations on you before you're born or after you're here. You do what you were created to do. The night I was with you guys and I read that, like it, it struck a chord with me. You know, the, the bumblebee, it's the, the design of the bumblebee, the wings are so small and the body so big that the, scientifically it's not supposed to be able to fly. But my buddy Rex Crane said it, it, its purpose, its purpose overrides its design. Its destiny overrides its design. So then when I, like that night, when I read all that, it's like I had that, I'm like, dude, you guys are so freaking like that it all just ties together and I think that we all I mean I certainly feel like I was somewhat asleep before she was born because I feel like feel like we were created to do more than we think we're capable of but Bo and I remind ourselves that God does not call the qualified he qualifies the called amen and I have to remind myself that daily sometimes hourly um, when I'm overwhelmed with a lot of the stuff that I don't I definitely do not feel qualified to do um, but this is a gift and I have to just push through and know that somehow God will qualify me <laughs> <laughs> or qualify somebody that you offers to help me. You already are qualified through the price that Jesus paid. Now I'm preaching. There you go. Come on, baby. <laughs> You're already accepted. It's impossible for anyone to reject you. Come on. Don't get me going. I do want to ask you a couple questions about this and then we're going to move on to the positive stuff, which is your life now and how mm -hmm. you're going on. But I, I want to stay here for one more second. And I'm going to ask a really, really tough question because it's a question that they asked Terry and I, and we were extremely offended. Actually, she asked me because I was the one who found out about Sam before Terry. Um, when they gave you the diagnosis, at any point, did they ever suggest or ask you if you wanted to terminate the pregnancy? Multiple times. None of that had to do with her having CHD. Every time we were offered termination was because of her Down syndrome diagnosis, which is not... No idea what that does to the inside of me. Oh, I know. I know. I I mean. What did it, you say? Well, the because first. Because it's so offensive. And at the same time, it's it makes you so angry. And it's like, I, I believe well, that question comes from the pit of hell. Sorry, there's no other way to put it. It's That's me. 
Well, the sad part to me, too, is that people are finding out about some of these diagnosis so early that I, it breaks my heart that I feel like people are manipulated into making choices that they would not make if they 100%. had not had the chance to bond with their child. Bo and I, I just said, I knew the doctor that we were seeing then. I worked with him for years before, like in the hospital. I said, I think you, you know how committed I am to this pregnancy, how long it took us to get here. I don't want to talk about it anymore. He goes, okay, okay, okay. I mean, legally, I'm assuming he has to keep they just kept at each time. I think you're getting closer to our cutoff now. We need to reconsider. My God. And um, because then the, what they don't see is, I mean, look at Brett now today. She's you know she's been passed away for over three years, but look at what her life is doing for other people. I, I can't bear the thought of what we would have robbed. I mean, not only our family. Uh, but the world really for sure um and yeah i mean it's very 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 common um terminating down syndrome pregnancies what would you say to moms dads someone listening right now who are at that crossroad whether it's down syndrome whether it's cystic fibrosis whether it's a cancer diagnosis whether it's some kind of special needs and they're considering terminating the pregnancy. What would you say? I would say that I know that some people are going to tell you to think about how this is going to affect the rest of your family, your sibling, the siblings, because that's a lot of the things that they try to tell you to take into consideration. And I would ask you that same question because someone who doesn't live or know or have a relationship with a person with Down syndrome can't understand that this is going to make everybody better. It's just another aspect of your family that is good. There will be more love, more joy, more compassion and capability than was there before. And I know that because I've felt it. And you will be okay. There will be community that you didn't have before. Um, and your family will function as a typical family. Um, I, I see it every and, and single day. Some aspects day. a stronger family, right? Yeah, I mean, for sure, for sure. And can I just encourage people to look to the giver of life, not the taker of life? Like you know, God really does play a role in this, and you know, the Bible says He'll turn around all things for the better and work towards good. And He does have a plan for you and for your unborn to prosper them and not to harm them. Plans to give them a hope in a future. And I think a lot of times we get so concentrated on this temporary life. And like, when I think about your daughter, the, the eternal effect that she's had, even though she's not here anymore, like that I saw firsthand three weeks ago, it's like, you just, you never know what is going on behind the scenes of what God is doing. So I would just encourage people to choose life. Because that's the side that the Lord is on always. Let me ask you this. Um, how important is your faith to you? Because you've mentioned it quite a few times in this, you know, since we've been talking. Um, I mean, I feel like it's the only way that I'm able to speak a declarative sentence after, <laughs> uh, after everything that we've seen. I've been a believer my whole life. I grew up in church. Um, was baptized when I was 12. And, um, but I really feel like Brett took 
my relationship with God, I mean, she took us, Bo and I both, to another level of, of love and of faith for sure. I, I've told this story to everybody, but the day she passed away, I physically felt his hand on my shoulder. Wow. Um, we stepped out of the room, and I just remember thinking, I'm, I'm never going to be okay again, which some days I still wonder, you know, because I feel like sometimes I'm constantly known as the grieving mother, but I felt. Really? You feel that way? Or, or are you known that way as the constantly grieving mother? Why did you say that? I just wonder, you know, like a lot of times, a lot of things that I share um, are heavy because they're things that we can help with. And I, I feel like it needs to be talked about. But mm-hmm. I have, I, I don't know, I like I was saying about people feeling uh, that feeling after a diagnosis of people feeling sorry for you. That's just so, I don't like that feeling. So I have like, it's like I, I don't want, want your pity. For people to, yeah. And I don't so, need your pity. Right. Well, so what's the difference? Because my wife and I talk about this a lot is she was very hesitant when she was going through her stuff with, you know, after the diagnosis, even after Sam was born, it, it was almost tough for her to get close to other people because she would always assume like, well, the only reason they're doing this because they feel bad for me or they feel sorry for me and I don't want their pity. So how can people, you know, people who are listening that know of a friend or a family member who's going through what you're going through how can they get close to them? How can they support? Because regardless of how you slice it, people do feel bad for you. Yeah, and it comes yeah, from a genuine yeah. place, right? Yeah. And truly, I mean, with a CHD diagnosis, nobody wants their kid to have open heart surgery. That's, I mean, that's what we're pushing for is maybe to find ways that we can make there be a cure that doesn't involve that. But, um, I mean, that's it's very traumatic and on everybody. But I would say... You know, the things, especially with a Down syndrome diagnosis, congratulations. You've hit the lottery. We're in your corner, and we're part of your team. Just the same as you would for any other person that needs, you know, that gets pregnant. Any other pregnancy is it's should be the same. Um, and then with a CHD diagnosis, just reminding people, your support system's here. I mean, we're going to join arms with you and – fight for better tomorrows for your kid and all the ones that come behind him. So why did Brett pass away? Because it obviously was not have anything to do with down syndrome. Really? Like people don't pass away from down syndrome, right? Right. No. What happened? So, um, we knew that her open heart surgery needed to happen between four and six months. Mm -hmm. Um, it depends on how well the kid or the particular case with AV canal, how they handle their, the pulmonary, how much that's affecting their lungs. And um, she got sick when she was four months old. We were at home with her. It was the best being home with her. Um, But she got sick and we got admitted and it was time at four months. And what we were expecting to be a six hour surgery turned into 12. They called, actually they called me four hours into the surgery and was like, everything went awesome. We're sewing her up. We're going to, or we're warming her up. We're going to do an echo, check everything, but you're good. I was on the third floor at Vanderbilt. I never want to step foot on that floor ever again. That was very, very, very traumatic. Um, What's the third floor of Vanderbilt? A surgery waiting room. So people are popping in and out, getting tubes in their ears. I mean, we watch people come and go all day long. Oh, everything's good. And they leave and we're still sitting there, still sitting there watching people check in, watching them go. Who's in there with you? You, Bo, and who else? Me, Bo, my mom, his mom and dad, and Caroline, my sister-in-law. We were all in there. 
And um, it was just the most traumatic day for everybody. My sister, my dad, my stepdad, all of them were in Georgia wanting to be with us, wanting to know what was going on. Um, I feel like by the end of the day, my other, my Bo's older sister, Amy, and then Luke came up there to be with us. And it was just, yeah. So after they called and told us everything looked great, another hour went by and I was like, I hadn't heard anything from him. I wonder what's going on. That waiting, uh, the waiting mm. was just the worst. And then they called back and said, um, so she's got a little bit of leakage with her mitral valve and he feels like if he doesn't go back in now, he'll have to later. So they go back in and then it was like an hour later, still working. We're just going to keep trying some stuff. Well, it ends up, I mean, hours and hours are going. You think there were challenges and they weren't telling you? Well, I think the more their valves, they the way that our surgeon who's on our board now, we love them, him and his wife. They're just wonderful people. But um, he said that the valves on a newborn are Brett's size heart, about the size of a walnut, and or no, that's with that that's when they're in utero. They're the size of their heart is so tiny that the valves are like wet newspaper. Mm-hmm. So every time you know the to be able to put a suture in that will hold. A lot of the things that they use in surgery were not created to work for children because the funding is not there. Which is a key driving force of your foundation. Exactly. Correct? Exactly. Um, they, they don't have valve replacement options that are small enough, mainly because it's too expensive to create them. But also, if you put that artificial valve in now, you're going to have to change it so often as that child grows. So they're not really feasible options there but I think from my understanding of what happened that day the more that they tried to make that valve stronger um the worse it got Mm -hmm. and um she ended up coming out of surgery completely unrepaired removing everything and she was on ECMO which is the highest form of life support and um they pulled Bo and I and all of our family in a room and our, car- our cardiologist stayed late. Um, he had gone in, I think, to help with the echo during surgery and everything. But he sat us down and he just said, I'm just so sorry. She's the sickest kid in Nashville right now. And I don't know if she's going to make it through the night. Um, but we both were like, what do you mean sick? And he was like, she's on the highest form of life support. And we're going to do everything we can to get her through the night. Um, she'll probably be on ECMO for several days. After, be- after they cut on the heart like that, you're going to lose some function. Well, she had been cut on so much that her heart wouldn't beat on its own. So that's why she had to be on ECMO. And we were just so, I mean, blindsided. Cause I was like, I hadn't even prepared my mind for it not going great. When I heard 97%, I was like, that's all I need to know. We're going to be in that 97%. And, um, so we were, I remember I got sick. Bo and I both threw up because we, I mean, we just couldn't even process it. And I mean, it was probably midnight that night before we finally got to see her um, but in ICU. And it was, I mean, just nothing short of awful. The most traumatic day of my life. It was right. worse. That day was worse than the day we lost her. Right. Um, without going through all that, cause I don't want to do that. Do you, and you know, and I do want to talk about 
you know, after she passed away. Um, I have so many questions right now. How do you take something so tragic and something so heartbreaking and move on? How do you wake up in the morning? How do you get out of bed? How do you live? Well, a lot of that, I still <laughs> I don't really know the great answer to that. But, you know, after that first surgery went so wrong and we thought we'd lose it that day, she made it another 100 days in the hospital. You're kidding me. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he says we're trying to get her to make it through the night. Yeah. She made it so was she on life days. support for 100 days? No, she came off ECMO seven days later. And her function was not great, but it was good enough to be off of that. And we everybody was high-fiving. The, the waves of emotion that we went through in that 100 days were so up and down. But I saw so many miracles, even though things didn't turn out the way we wanted them to. Um that I remember thinking, you know, surely God won't take her from us now. Why wouldn't he have just taken her that first day? And I think that if we had lost her that first day, I don't know that I ever could have recovered because I was so, all I saw was us handing her off cooing at sur for surgery that day. And when we finally lost her, we had witnessed their whole team fighting to give her more options. We had been supported by our church. Somebody visited us from the church every single day, laid hands on us and prayed over us. We had people from my hometown that I haven't seen since high school telling me, I haven't prayed in years and I have prayed for you every day. I, I, and the, the victories that we saw in that 100 days, even though it didn't end up like we wanted to, were proof of prayer. And they, I felt them. And whether or not they made a difference in the ultimate outcome of her life on earth, they did make a difference and they continue to. And, um, so there, there are times and I'm not, I'm not going to lie and say that I don't think why we could still be doing this stuff sure. if she were still here. Sure. And a lot of, why did this have to happen to us? And with the progress that the foundations made, I feel God say, this is why you couldn't do this. If, if she were still here, there, there is something that I, I will never understand on this side of heaven, mm -hmm. but I do get to catch a glimpse of it to be able to push forward. I think there's something so attractive about real Christians in Eli, you like this, that when they pray for something and it doesn't happen, the way that they prayed for, the way that they believed, the way that they expected God to meet their needs, but yet they still have faith and they still push through. I just think there's something so endearing and attractive about that, that, you know what? I do still have a lot of questions and I do have a handful of things to ask you when I get there and I don't understand it, but I know that you're still for me. I know that you're still working things out to my good. I don't understand it. And a lot of times I don't even like it, Yeah. but I trust you. And I think yeah. that there's a huge difference between faith in God and trust in God in the hospital room and throughout that whole process. I believe you guys were operating in faith. And then now being on the other side, you're, you just have trust in God. What is something that happened that you could maybe mention through that, that you know that God heard your prayer, that miracles happen? Well, and this still happens where I, I mean, just like I told you the way that the heaviness of when I tell her story, first of all, such a gift to be able to say her name, uh, grieving parents everywhere, I think would agree 
you know, people stop asking about or saying, I think of your child all the time because they don't want to make anybody upset. It's mm-hmm. like you think you're going to remind them of something that they're not thinking of constantly, you know. Right. But I, it is not lost on me what a gift it is that with the foundation, I get to talk about her every time, anytime I want to. So you really do like that. Oh, Love yeah. It. It's harder for Bo. We've grieved, you know, differently. He still wants to talk about her t- in safe places, but, right. um, but like after the gala and having to tell her story there, and I'm sure from here, I'll just have a day that I'm just mad and I'm sad and I'll realize this is this coming out from, you know, talking mm-hmm. about that. But I'll pray for peace and God gives it to me the next morning. It is new mercy in the morning. And every time that I'll hear of a family losing their kid from CHD or for any reason, of course, I just pray that mercy for them when they wake up in the morning and that they'll know where it comes from. Who's who's the hero for you in all this? Not Bo. Who is Who was your go-to that encouraged you, that called you? Like, if you had to name one, and I know that, you know, like, oh, there's so many people I need to thank. Who's the one superstar that you would highlight that was there for you through this time? My best friend, Keller. I just got home from her house yesterday. She's throwing, she and several of my dear friends are throwing a fundraiser for us in Savannah. Mm-hmm. Um, she's one of those that she can tell me to suck it up. And I'll be like, you're right. All really? right. Thank you. I needed that today. But it's funny because if somebody else said it, I'd be like, can you believe she said that to me? But there's been several times that she's like, you're just going to have to suck it up and get through today and we'll cry about it tomorrow. Do you understand? I'm like, you're right. Such a good friend. Um, But then if she, if she heard somebody else say it to me, I think she'd beat him up in the parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like she's the friend that gets to say that. That's Jim's wife. Her name's Allison, but her maiden name is Keller. I've called her that since college. Jim, you and Jim were throwing dice together. (laughs) That is a fun crew. Yeah. Yeah. I like Jim too because yeah. he's got balls of steel. Yeah, and he says stuff when it needs to be said. I like they've, that guy. They've, um, I want to be their friends too. Yeah. Tell them I'm looking if they want to be my friend. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking. I'm shocked. Um, but there were just I, I feel like I mean she dropped everything and flew here for major days. They live in like I said in Savannah, so it wasn't so easy for her to be up here. But we talked ten. When times did she to- become your friend? College. Mm-hmm. Okay. We were in the same sorority. That group of girls. What sorority were you in? 80 pie. 80 pie. I don't have a, a derogatory slang for that one. My wife was a pie fi. I call her a pie fi put out. But, uh, you know, and then there's, you know, alpha fees. We call them all for freeze. I don't, oh ha- my God. I don't, I don't have one for you. 80 pie. I don't, yeah. have, I don't have one. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. My sweet pledge class is all meeting this weekend in um, Tybee and. I don't get to go. It's my first year missing in a long time. I'm so sad. Was boy a frat or Bo a frat boy? Oh yeah, he was the president. Was he? You of know, course of course he was. he was. Um. So let's talk. Okay. So now you're on the other side. I know that you know when you know we went through everything. You know, you read all the statistics, and you know people say you know your divorce rate goes up, relationships go on the rock, and, and it's true because you're grieving differently than Bo. He has different needs than you do. Some oh you're not meeting my needs. He's not meeting your needs. Vice versa. How? How do you get through that? Because my wife and I, we feel like we got through it with two diagnoses. Mm-hmm. But when you have a child that passes away, statistically, the divorce rate goes up. So they say, well, statistics. Yeah. statistics. Did that ever get on your radar? Did you ever fight for that? Definitely. Um, we had someone 
bring it to our attention that right. to remember those statistics at a really tough time. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, like so debilitating to me at first because I thought I cannot afford to lose Bo too on top of this. Like I was, my anxiety about anything happening to him physically or anxiety about anything happening, happening to our marriage was through the roof. And so as we were leaving the hospital, which was not the appropriate time, but I just told him we've got to get in therapy. I don't, and he was like, just pump the brakes. We're right. Let's get through the funeral. Okay. Um, but prob- possibly wasn't, uh, the most gentle way for me to enforce that, but I am glad that we made it a priority. We had counseling at our church together, and then that was the, our first, both of our first experiences with therapy separate too. And it's it's been very helpful for me to recognize this is how he's grieving. It's not the same as me. Um, like I said, I want to say her name all day, every day. I want to talk about her. I want to think about what she would be doing is it emotional, but it's like the only way to me for me to deal with those feelings. Sure. And um, that it, these events, although we're both so proud of them, they're very hard on Bo. Um, and so I try my best to protect him from as much of it as I can. It's crazy. It's hard on Terry and I too to do that because you don't want to hear the same stuff and bring up those old memories and stuff. That's that's crazy. I would just encourage people how important therapy is. Uh, to get that out and talk, especially for guys, because we yeah. do not like to be vulnerable. I know, I know. And you feel like you have to be the protector of the family. Bo said he felt like my job is to protect Ellen through this until she's here. And then that was so hard for him because as a dad, he felt like I couldn't protect my child. Right. And obviously those feelings are valid, but that's he did everything he could for her. And um as far as like the anxiety that follows living in the hospital, we, I feel like we needed tools to be able to deal with that mm-hmm. and recognize how to head off a panic attack. I worked at Centennial Hospital until Christmas Day, actually, was because I signed up to work a holiday and I felt too bad to not work it. Um, <laughs> but of 2018 was my last day. I just couldn't work around those alarms anymore. I'd walk by the NICU and hear them, and it just... So, I mean, I know a lot of people don't have, I was able to just find another job that was outside of the hospital, but that was me recognizing this is triggering stuff for me. I've got to get out of this environment. When Brett passed away, did you ever get like, there's a difference between grieving and depression. Grieving is healthy. Depression, obviously not healthy. Did you ever fall into depression? I don't think so. I never, That's good. the reason that I say no, I was sad a lot. Um, and, but I never was, this doesn't, it's probably not the most technical analogy, but I never was able to, like, I never walked outside and couldn't appreciate that it was a beautiful day. That's so good. And so that was kind of my gauge of, I'm still thankful for this day. I can still see good. Um, Whether it still was heavy and sad, I still was able to see the light of day. Um, And um, anxiety Yes. I would not say depression. Anxiety about what? Everything. Initially, it was of anything happening to Bo. I probably drove him crazy. Are you okay? Did you make it where you're going? Really? Oh, yeah. 
I just because you have you you feel so much loss that you're afraid to lose more. Yes. Wow. I've and never he really was. Of that. I felt like he was the only person that knew how I felt. I was very protective of him and and of our marriage. Like I was saying, I just was desperately protective of him. Um, and my anxiety after we have Wells and Lottie now. I mean, like with Wells, I worried about. I mean, I probably didn't sleep the first three months with him just uh, okay, watching him Okay, I want to talk breathe. about that. First of all, when did you know? I mean, did you? Because you've always wanted multiple kids. Yeah. When did you feel mentally healthy? I guess or inspired to? Hey, we're doing this again. And did you have to go the in vitro route again? Yeah. So we did um, have to have in vitro again. Um, I guess that w- was why we just decided to go ahead and start getting the ball rolling on that because we knew it's kind of a long process. Um, we had to go back through that whole egg retrieval process again for mm-hmm. Wells. Um, new eggs or same eggs? New eggs. Okay. Um, we didn't have any that made it to freezing from my round with Brett. Um, and so with Wells, we went through that process again and – Got pregnant with him, and he had, ironically, the exact same due date as Brett. She was born early, but um, he was I mean, born- that, that, are you guys just looking at each other like, dude, what I know, the heck? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I mean, obviously, we knew we were kind of going at the same time uh, time frame as we did with the transfer with Brett, but, like, a lot of that stuff, you don't know what week things are going to go and all that good stuff. So, I mean, it really was crazy. <laughs> Your look at the top. Oh my gosh. You're like, seriously. <laughs> All right. Sorry. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, he was born August 24th of 18 and I had another, I mean, my pregnancy with him, I felt awesome. The anxiety of going back for another, like he had a full cardiac workup was. Because do they say your odds of all the, all that stuff goes up? Yeah, well, any time that you have a kid with CHD, they'll do full cardiac workup on any future pregnancies, or sometimes they'll go back and check your other kids and stuff too. So I was any definitely a high-risk patient, a patient for that. Any explanation as to why all of those challenges happened with Brett and none of them happened with Wells? No nope, explanation. No explanation. Okay. Yeah. And then Wells, and I'm sure that process was, I mean, was – Wells' pregnancy more enjoyable? You know, for you it, was, or more it was. There was anxiety that I don't remember, like I think that was just brought on through our whole process, but I really can't complain about a thing. I, I felt great. Um, don't recommend delivering in August. It is hot. But other than that, <laughs> other than that, it was beautiful. And he's been the sweetest kid. So great. And how old is he now? He's two and a half. He'll be three in August. And then let's talk about Lottie. And Lottie is 12 weeks tomorrow. She'll be 12 weeks old. Let's go. Yeah. Same process in vitro. Same process. I did not have to go through egg retrieval again. This time um, she was on ice. (laughs) So weird. (laughs) But um, healthy pregnancy, no challenges, everything. No challenges. I definitely felt older this time, but it's because I am. But. I can't complain about a thing. Easiest C-section recovery I've ever had. And She's was been... was well C-section as well? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Was Brett C-section as Brett well? Brett was an emergency C-section. So he And then they, once you have one, you got to do one every time, right? You don't have to. They told me I would have been a good candidate for a VBAC with Wells because the reason we had to have 
an emergency C-section with her was because of her heart. Um, so it wasn't like I wasn't making progress. Um, but we just really were like, you know what, if I come in in labor, we'll talk about it. But if not, we don't want, I want to be the lowest risk patient in the history of low risk patients here. I told my OBGYN, I was like, I want you to forget I'm pregnant. Be like, God, I forgot you were so easy. And she did. It was good. Yeah. Same doctors. No, I had a different doctor every time. So with well, I mean, with Brett, we delivered at Vanderbilt, which is a teaching hospital. Mm-hmm. And Bo and I joke that I think whoever did my C-section, because it all happened so fast, I don't remember, but I know they looked 12 years old, and they had just stopped studying a book. <laughs> they were. It, she was born July 8th. The new students come up July 1st. So I don't know what number C-section I was for that child. But they were fresh out the book. Um. And everybody was wonderful, but it was still like now in hindsight, I'm older and I think I would have been like, whoa, when you say doctor. Did you say we're not going back to Vandy? We're going somewhere else for this one? Well, no, it wasn't that. We had a great experience. I just really needed a change in scenery. We still went back, their cardiology department from the children's hospital aspect. I will forever be indebted to them and love their team and support their team forever. But for delivery was in the main hospital and I just had traumatic memories and it wasn't anything that was had gone wrong i just we wanted chill so we um delivered wells and lottie both at centennial it was so wonderful so um brett's been um brett passed away four years ago now right Mm -hmm. do the hard days get better get easier do you still have them you still have days where you're like i'm not getting out of bed today or not like that i just got kind of some now obligations where I don't, I, I can't, but I'll, it's just different. It's just different. I definitely have more happier days. Any parent that's experienced a loss and is in a fog, I do pray it gets better for them as it has for us. It has definitely been more manageable, but there's still aspects of it that I think society or maybe that's something I put up pressure on myself. You think you're supposed to get over it and you're never going to get over it. Right. But it does change, but it does change. How do you have, I don't know why I feel led to this question, but I do. How do you still have good days with Brett? Even when she's not here. When I'm sure you do. When I find out that we were able to do something to help another family, I know that that is her legacy, and I feel like that is, I'm so proud of my kid. I still feel like I get to parent her in that way. I still get to help somebody the way that I wish I could help her. Um, We have a system with Vanderbilt where we're able to financially help families and, um, of course, the research aspect, which is what I'm so proud of. that if the day that we find out we funded something that made a kid have an option that she didn't have, I will touch the sky. I just, I, and, and, and the hope that I hope it brings those parents knowing somebody's fighting for you. Sure. Because even though I thought I knew a little something about CHD, I was clueless of the aspects of, Clinic visits, open heart surgeries, how many x-rays, how much heaviness, and then the polarizing feeling of, oh, your kid's fine because there isn't, it's not visible. If their shirt is on, their scars are covered, 
And you have no idea what that kid and what those parents have gone through. And every time, I think you, we were talking about how traumatic ultrasounds were for me. Mm-hmm. Even when their kid's in a great space, it's forever that they're terrified of the bad news. And a lot of people go on with their life knowing, oh, this kid's doing great. And that's part of the mental health aspect that Bo and I really want to push to be accepted for. We, Our goal is for every hospital, you get a CHD diagnosis, you meet with your cardiologist, you meet with your surgeon, and you meet with your mental health specialist. Just like you need your blood pressure checked, mm-hmm. you need to talk to somebody. Because you can fight through, you can be the toughest person ever, it's going to come out. And if we can give you the tools, why wouldn't you use it? You know, but I mean, the social workers at Vanderbilt are tremendous. I love them. We'll be forever indebted to them. But, you know, they came to see, to check on us after Brett was put on ECMO. And we're like, can we help you? I was like, I'm not in any place to think about myself. Help her. I, right. You know, it was too really, to me, I was just in a place so shut off from accepting help for myself that I, if it had been, our goal is for if it's normalized from the beginning, um, that a set of parents have come before you and said, I needed this. And that's our goal is for us to be, it, for it to be so successful in proving that it makes a difference in the outcome of the patient and the caregiver, the whole family, to where everywhere it's standard. This is standard. A couple more questions, then we'll let you go. Yeah. Um, this is kind of a leading question. I know your answer, but I want you to explain it because I know that there's people listening right now that are at the front end of your story and they're hurting. Um, the question is, if if you knew it was going to end up this way with Brett, would you have still done it? Because I know that there's people, like I said, that are on the front end of your story thinking, how am I going to get through this? And even contemplating, I don't, maybe I don't want to go down this road because, you know, maybe I will terminate, you know, the pregnancy or, you know, start fresh, turn the page, whatever it may be. What would you say to them? I think it's important to feel the feelings that you're feeling right now. I think it was a big process. Getting to acceptance was grieving the child that I thought I was going to have. Everybody has a typical kid in their mind and you think, are they going to be the president? Are they going to, but well, let's use a different analogy, right? Um, Are they going to be, are they going to be, you know, a lawyer, a doctor, a nurse? And the first thing would be don't set limitations on your kid. Thank God my mom didn't know some of the things I was going to do when I was born. Right. Um, When I think about me on stage that, that night of post graduation, I'm glad she didn't have a view into the future of that. But you are going to be okay, and even after this tremendous loss, and I'm for the record, I'm having a good day. <laughs> so, right. but I am so grateful that God chose me to be her mother, and you will get to the point where you are in that grace too. And it's something to look forward to when we get there. Yes. she's her and Jesus are going to be the first That's two right. people you ask to see. Right. <laughs> I feel like she, Bo and I just have this sassy little blonde, curly haired, blue eyed girl in our mind. And a lot of times we just think of like, how old will she be when we get there? Mm-hmm. I know that I'll know her. I just, I think about it all the time. I have a, I, I just have dreams of that day. And Although, obviously, I want to be here and 
experience the joys of seeing her legacy live on and being here for my other two children and seeing them grow up. I just, um, I do look forward to that day for sure. You are awesome. You're such a great person. I'm so glad that I met you a few weeks ago and I'm glad I know your husband and your family. Um, how can people follow you, support you, support the Brett Boyer foundation? How can they get involved? So we are hopefully, you know, COVID took a big little pause on our Mm. progress of being able to get places for people to be involved. But our website is the Brett Um, we're under the Brett Boyer foundation on Facebook and we're at bright for Brett on Instagram. Um, our goal is to spread awareness of CHD, spread the love of Down syndrome, and to offer hope through both diagnosis. Um, we always welcome any donations that help us fund CHD research, which is severely underfunded. Um, but join us in educating yourself on what a blessing a Down syndrome diagnosis is. If you do not have somebody that you're close with that has Down syndrome, I encourage you to brighten your life and expand your horizons and it will bless your heart and mind more than I can say. That's so awesome. And I know that you have blessed people by being on this. Thank you so much oh, thanks for, having for coming me. on honestly and sharing your story. Cause you yeah. said before you've only done this one other time. Yeah. So me and the golden beard man over here feel very yeah. honored to have you. <laughs> I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much. And so there you have it. Um, I follow you guys on Instagram and you post cool stuff. And obviously you guys have unbelievable, fun, awesome events. And it's all going towards a good, great cause. Changing people lives. I love being a part of something that actually has a tangible impact on people's lives and saving lives. So you do. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for tuning in today, for listening, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcast, YouTube. We're on what? Every platform out yeah, there now, right? Yeah. Eli, you're the best. Anywhere. You do a really good job, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And we need you to do a good job by liking, subscribing, and sharing. No brainer that today's uh, show could help a lot of people who are going through any challenges. And to hear Ellen's story and to, I think there's something really cool about someone who's been through the fire and has come out on the other side. And that's her. And that's her story. And Brett's story lives on and continues to inspire and make an impact, which is such a cool, like unfathomable thing to think about that the way that God works and uses destiny. So share this with somebody. And of course we would personally appreciate it. If you gave us a rating five star and just thank you for another week of level up. My name is Matt Rogers and I appreciate you listening.